Pleasure, another episode of the Joker Character Study Series from Mike, Mike, and Oscar. Alright, the good news is, for as freaky and scary as that intro song is, this episode is going to be just as light and filled with levity, because this is the first solo entry into the Joker Character Study Series we're doing, and we're back. This is Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I'm your co-host, Mike One. This is co-host also, Mike. We're covering Cesar Romero today. Yeah, Cesar Romero's Joker. We'll give you a little bit of a bio on him, and we got another four segments that Mike will talk about. So how does this come about? The Batman TV series airs in 19... 1966, we talked about the golden age of the comics in that last episode that we did, the first of this series, mm-hmm. where we kind of took the timeline from 1940 through the first two ages of the comics, where it's a comic strip meant for kids. So now you get a TV series kind of meant for children in many ways, or at least a wide audience. This <laughs> series airs from 1966 to 1968. The creators were Lorenzo Semple Jr. and William Dozier. Uh, after the first season of the series, that's when this film hits theaters. Yeah, so this is what we're talking about today, the Cesar Romero Joker portrayal, specifically for purposes of this character study from Batman the Movie, the 1966 movie, which was written by Semple himself, directed by Leslie H. Martinson, who did the $6 million man and Mission Impossible TV series as well. So, non-spoiler section, first thing we're going to do is getting into character, Mike. You want to explain the other four segments, though? Yeah, so we're going to talk about five different things in all these Joker episodes. We're going to talk about getting into character, the backstory, what it took to kind of uh, become the Joker for the individual actors themselves that we'll be looking at. This episode, like we said again, will be Cesar Romero. We're going to talk about the historical significance that this actor's portrayal of the Joker had throughout time. Obviously, we're talking about Jack Nicholson, Heath Ledger an Oscar-winning portrayal, all different types of portrayals. So we want to talk about the falling out and the impact they had pretty much on the zeitgeist of pop culture from there on out. And with that, we have a couple quotes from some people. And when we asked the question online on Twitter that responded that Cesar Romero was their favorite Joker, we're going to have a spoiler section at the end of this where we're going to talk about what the Joker's most memorable quote or action was from the individual movies that were covering themselves. So again, this one will be from Batman the Movie, 1966. What was Cesar Romero maybe best known for doing or saying within this film? We will also talk about the secret spice and what made it work. Why was this portrayal of the Joker in every episode so special or held in such regard or able to have such a big impact on pop culture and the zeitgeist like we talked about prior? And then finally, we will wrap up with how evil was the deed. We're going to talk about the actual evil plot and plan <laughs> that went into each one of these movies that the Joker was a part of before we wrap up finally talking about on a scale of one to Joker how Joker was this Joker yes I love the format Mike we'll dive right in here getting into character so the actor bio, I, I think this is a touching story because Cesar Romero's parents, they immigrated from Spain to Cuba and then to America with an import-export business. But with the stock market crash of 1929, they lose that business. Hmm. Luckily, their son is dancing all over New York. He's becoming a huge star on the nightclub dance circuit. He has a partner and they're super famous. They go to Hollywood and he's getting into movies as early as 1933. He's getting leading 
Man roles, though, around 1936. Yeah, he has a villainous role within The Thin Man. Then Romero's career took off as a leading man with roles in John Ford's Pathan, Pathan, that might be out of my linguistical rage, (laughs) and The Little Princess alongside Shirley Temple. He would also go on to more highlights on the silver screen, including a key role as Doc Holliday in the Wyatt Earp movie Frontier Marshall, and he played a sidekick as well in Ocean's Eleven to Frankie Midnight, Frank Sinatra, one of the four movies he would end up doing with Old Blue Eyes. So he was the star of this serialized movie series, The Cisco Kid. That series started early in the 1940s, and then he breaks for a stint in the Coast Guard where he fought in World War II aboard the USS Cavalier. That's amazing. He fights for a couple years. I don't know if it's a couple years, but they bring him back because they wanted him close to the American shores for morale. So he started doing the you know, Captain America thing, going mm-hmm. out uh, and really encouraging the troops from there. Not portraying Captain America, actually no, being no, no. a real-life Captain right, America. Right, a real-life Captain yeah. America, like the, the first movie there, right. the first Avenger. When he does come back, uh, Romero often played what's now known as the Latin lovers genre of romantic films, such as Weekend in Havana, Springtime in the Rockies is very notable because there he finally gets to show off some of those skills that got him to Hollywood in the first place, his dancing. Obviously a multi-talented actor, but what brings this backstory full circle on Cesar Romero is that when he was down to his last few thousand dollars, with a dwindling movie career and an entire extended family to support, he decides to get work where he could, which happened to be in the burgeoning field of television. So he basically goes like Rick Dalton. Yeah, on, pretty on much. It's very appropriate. And it, it was really stigmatized back then. Could go from movies to TV. It was like a graveyard. I'll it, tell you, that, that stigma hasn't really left until the last 15 years or so. Sure. So you would imagine in the early days of television, it must have been a huge step backwards for a movie star to do. Yeah, absolutely. But he made it work for him. And he had a sure. huge career in television for a long time, continuing to do movies later on as well. So by all accounts, everybody loved this man. I, I found four interviews online. He was gracious in all of them. He was even gracious to Jack Nicholson when the 1989 movie was coming out, saying that he knows he's great in it. We had a fun tweet. Jeffrey Weissman, uh, who was George McFly in Back to the Futures 2 and 3, he's had a long acting career, awesome. says that he used to get his hair cut when he was seven years old in the chair next to Cesar Romero, and therefore, I guess because of the interaction, <laughs> therefore, he believes that Cesar Romero is his favorite Joker. That was Cesar cool. Romero, famously a man that took great pride in his hair because even yeah. while portraying this Joker, refused to shave that mustache he he's a gr- He's got great hair, which I think is his real hair. I think it is, too. And they just dyed it green, and you're damn right. He knew he built a career on that mustache, and he was not going to shave Just it. put white paint over it, or Henry Cavill me once the technology kept yes, catches up. Uh, Bill Dozier did call Cesar Romero and said, hey, why don't you come play the Joker? So Romero went to Dozier's house to watch the pilot with the Riddler in it, this of the original Batman television series, and Romero supposedly was sold right on the spot, and that's how he ended up getting casted in this role, famously, as the Joker. Yeah, he loved it. It was basically a phone call. I mean, there's not much of a casting story here. A phone call from the guy who he worked for. And he said it was very industrialized back then. You basically worked for a studio. You signed on with a particular studio. And then you worked for them. And they found stuff for you. And this was one of those things. It was so, a simpler time. Simpler time, for sure. So in terms of his preparations and acting process, I couldn't find a lot. But I did find a couple quotes from Adam West. West said that Cesar Romero had enormous energy. His role was very physical and big. And damn right, he, he was. Yeah, that sounds about right. 
like there is a presence anytime there's a Joker on screen, but it's no different with Romero. You kind of your eye is just drawn to him, whether it's the pale white face paint that covers him or the ridiculous suit that he's wearing that's very flamboyant and bombastic. You do see him in every screen, regardless of who else is on screen, which is equally as important in this movie because the Joker is not the main baddie in this movie. He's not, uh, but he does stand out. Yes, You're he absolutely does. right. Another fun story was that Adam West said that I guess Caesar would conserve his energy because if you've ever been on a film set, you know that setups take a long time. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could be waiting three hours for the next camera setup, and the actors either go back to their trailers or they sit in their chairs. In between setups, Wes says that Romero would go sit in his chair and go to sleep. He would basically be Tom Brady before the Super Bowl, Mike. And then once they were ready, Wes couldn't believe how this guy would just snap out of it and immediately wake up as the Joker with all that incredible energy. He said he was ready. That's awesome. That's that an actor's show. actor for sure. The historical significance. We'll talk about the historical significance of Romero's portrayal of the Joker. You have a couple things to start with. Yeah, the look. And yeah. we mentioned the physicality, but the look, that big green hair, and that is good hair, dyed. <laughs> I, I am I am a wig hair connoisseur. Yeah, you I'm, are. I'm starting to lose mine a little bit, and I'm really, I really love a good head of hair. And this man has it. He did refuse to shave his mustache, and this is historically significant because he set the precedent for DC superheroes, like you said, Mike. Henry Cavill as Superman wouldn't take the Mission Impossible stash off, and he made them CGI it out. He also, to me, as far as the look goes, he made it okay to have some fun with the way the Joker looks because he was fairly true to life with how the villain was portrayed in the comics in the late 30s mm -hmm. and early 40s. They did have the look similar, white face paint, red lipstick, green hair, but the Joker in the comics pretty much right away was a deep purple suit. And this right. is not what Romero was wearing in here. It, it is was a, like that magenta-type color. Magenta or maybe hot pink. Not hot pink, but bright pink. Yeah. So he has a you know a bright pink blazer. It's a three-piece suit uh, with a vest underneath. And then he's got pants that I was surprised to notice when you get closer to him are, like, striped. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't realize they were going to be striped <laughs> pants. So Great. That was fun. Takes a, takes a confident man to wear that around set, I would think. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, the maniacal behavior, I think this is where you're starting to get to more modern-day Jokers, and you get, you get a little bit of that. Never have a staring contest with this Joker, you will lose. I, I could. I kept watching. I was like, is he going to blink in this scene? Just never and blinks. He just never blinks. I also love how he walks. You know, he basically walks like he's sneaking around. He hams it the hell up. Everybody does in this, and Cesar Romero absolutely does as well. The laugh, too, kind of starts with him. It's interesting that I think the Riddler has a more Joker laugh in this movie than the Joker does. Yeah. Or at least what would become historically known as the Joker laugh. But Cesar Romero certainly started the foray in visual entertainment with that familiar Joker laugh, that high-pitched evilness that came out. There's a great scene with the two of them laughing yes. later on. We'll get to. Uh, Mike, just to mention a, a few people saying glowing things about Cesar Romero as their favorite. Rebecca Hauser at Off Grid Life says, without question, he's the best, he's the first and the greatest. Mr. John S. at Toronto underscore John 63. Cesar Romero is number one, was brilliant. And let me bend your ear podcast at bend your ear pod. Cesar Romero was great, period. Yeah, that's, I mean, this is the, what the guy was. Was he for kids? Was he for adults? Was it ham-handed? Yes, all of that is true, but it was certainly the first portrayal. And that's his most historically significant output, is that he was the template for what the Joker would be in visual medium. And this is kind of a kid's version. There's no question yes. about 
about that. I watched an interview, like I said, for the 1989 Batman, Burgess Meredith, Julie Taymor, Romero, and Adam West were sat down for that, and they were shocked that the marketing campaigns for 89 Batman was basically telling people to leave their kids at home, and they're like, that's not our show. Our show was meant for kids. Yeah, well, Tim Burton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of wanted to indulge into a historical significance of the film because there's a list of ridiculous things here, Michael. So yes. here we go. <laughs> Batman and Robin obviously skipped leg day. This would change for modern day superheroes, but they're they're lifting upper body. They got these chicken legs. They not only chicken legs, but like a doughy physique and like I mean, we're not ones to, to make fun of people's physique and their physical fitness. I also have chicken legs but myself. This is not your stereotypical superhero. This isn't Chris Evans post the uh, the injection. You know, Captain America's ass is a far cry. America's ass is a far cry from what is going on here. Uh, what a voice from Adam West. But Michael, how could anyone else have that voice on the planet Earth? What was he going to play if he didn't get Batman? You can't play anything with that voice. It's so ridiculous. <laughs> like, Bruce Wayne, they should recognize him immediately, especially all these people who are, like, hear him once. Yes. Never mind work with him on a daily basis. Sure, yeah. So, but this is going to set the precedent for Clark Kent, and it's historically significant because Superman and Clark Kent and super you're going to get that benefit of the doubt. You're going to get that kind of thing where you're just like, all right, superheroes, the costume and the, the personality and, of course, the disguise doesn't have to be Yeah, this good. was with a more simpleton audience in mind. The single layer masks that only cover your eyes play a big role in this movie as Burt far Ward. as hiding the uh, personality and the identity yeah. of people. Burt Ward is the boy wonder. Looks exactly like Burt Ward. <laughs> you got Catwoman and Cat Kiss, the, uh, the Russian reporter there. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So make sure you label everything, including the Bat Ladder. That's so lines. good. It's, it's so hilarious. in line. There's giant labels everywhere in the Bat Cave. <laughs> and it's like, you know how we complain sometimes about how movies have exposition dumps mm -hmm. in in unnecessary dialogue or unrealistic dialogue. This has exposition dumps in just giant signs that are like... Production design. Yeah, dumps. exactly. Like, like, here's your neon particle separator in case you need it. <laughs> that made me laugh so hard. Uh, to get into a serious, historically significant thing here, this is very pro-law enforcement. Batman is not a vigilante, Mike. He is a fully deputized agent of the law. And Robin, literally at the beginning of the movie, says, support your police. That's our message. Yeah, well, not only support your police, as we're met with three title cards right from the outset before the movie even starts that says, thank you, we're thank real heroes. It's all for people who fight crime and do this in their daily lives, we thank you. But we're also getting, like, anti-drinking messages within this movie. Right. How you can't... I'd rather... I'd sooner die than be in a state where I can't trust my eyes because everyone around here is an alcoholic right. is basically a quote from Robin. You're not going to get 15 Bud Light commercials during this <laughs> Batman TV show. Yeah. Advertisements probably weren't the first concern, I guess, in the 60s. No, I, I, something just to say, Burgess Meredith is a phenomenal penguin. All these villains, yes. are, these are great performances. Agreed. Lee Merriweather uh, and then Gorch in there as Riddler. I loved them. I do want to say that Robin's number one skill, his best skill is solving riddles. He's great at it. The most underrated aspect of this <laughs> film, yes, it's very campy. It is camp. It's what camp film means. Yes. 
it's just how in the know everybody is at all times. Like, there's these awful riddles that the Riddler puts <laughs> out that Robin solves immediately. Robin puts a plan in motion with the bat signal, and Batman, who is separated from him, knows instinctively what Robin is up right, to. Right. They, 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 there's this giant convoluted plot to kill Batman that Many is a part plots. of this that we'll get to <laughs> that will not work unless everything happens so perfectly and Batman's able to thwart it. It's just awesome. So final two things this movie and the tv series it's the alliterative achievement of all time <laughs> i'll bash him brutally <laughs> holy halloween this brassy bird has us buffaloed come on penguin time to rip off your false feathers <laughs> holy heartbreak i did it all burt ward but okay no you did a great job there yeah uh, you know uh, the dialogue wasn't deep <laughs> <laughs> batman and catwoman last thing okay WTF kind of a kiss is that. What are they doing? This is smushing faces. This is old 1940s Hollywood. This is the most awkward kiss I've ever seen in my entire life. I know I've seen it before. Cary Grant's done the same thing. They've all done it. But it is just... You got... Technicolor now? Technicolor. So the cameras are better. It's 1966. You don't have to have the 1935 kiss. Catwoman goes undercover as a bad guy, <laughs> as a Russian reporter, mm -hmm. and part of the plot is to lure Bruce Wayne in, and they have this like romantic dinner where he escorts her back to her apartment afterwards. Oh, Batman's going to get it in. This is straight out of James Bond. <laughs> like, if James Bond didn't exist, yeah. I don't think these scenes make this movie whatsoever. Uh, now... That, all that being said, Catwoman is a bit sidelined in this movie in general. She's reduced to a honeypot scenario here. And she's sidelined in all the fights, and, and that sucks, and that's something that we've come a long way from yeah. because, you know, women are ass-kickers now, and there's just not that, you know, kind of gender bias, I would say. She also literally relies on her cat for a lot of things that she's able to accomplish in this movie. Did you see that cat fight anybody? I did not see no, that cat No, of course fight. not. That cat is just like a normal cat. But she's like, tear their eyes out! <laughs> she throws the cat at people. And then the cat just like, Meow. Yeah. Put it in. It's animal abuse is what that was. All right, so we got to get to some spoilers. All right, let's have a spoiler section about Cesar Romero's Joker. Spoilers ahead! Did you hear what the maid said when the Duchess asked if she'd given the goldfish fresh water that morning? No, your highness. He hasn't yet used what he had yesterday. <laughs> this is a spoiler warning. All right, this is the spoiler section for the Cesar Romero Joker character study episode. We're going to start the spoiler sections talking about what is the most memorable quote or action from these Joker portrayals. Most memorable quote or action. Ah! Ah! And look, we're not dealing with like the clown prince of crime in this one. We're not dealing <laughs> with like a caricature of a character uh, in this portrayal. But so all of his actions are kind of overdone and overzealous mm -hmm. and really, really done for like gaffes and laughs. And that's really portrayed well when he's dealing with this Commodore Schmidlap, who's first of all, great name. <laughs> Second of all, being held hostage by these bad guys for, you know, reasons. Uh, and there's a scene where Schmidlap asks for tea and the joke. Joker goes to give him the tea, but in true bad guy fashion, it's like a mind control tea. Right. And <laughs> Joker shows up, gives Schmidlap the tea. Schmidlap uh, is Mr. Magoo. The guy doesn't realize that there's a giant <laughs> evil clown with a menacing smile handing him this tea. And then Joker turns and prances off away like a thief in the night, except it's broad daylight with the lights on. <laughs> 
It's broad daylight. <laughs> the lights off. This is George Spod. This is Mr. Magoo, like you said. Commodore Schmidlap, or as I like to call him, Admiral Asshole. I don't know what he's doing there. It's ridiculous, and Romero's but it's funny. antics there, where he's so over the top, do- yes. so overly animated. I do think that's laid the groundwork for future Jokers, yeah. because he really is going above and beyond, and Jack certainly goes above and beyond in his portrayal. He certainly goes above and beyond in his portrayal. These aren't guys that play it subtly, and the reason they don't, they don't just not play it subtly based on the comics. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to have a template to start from. You would think it'd be Cesar Romero. It is. Yeah. No question about it. You know, Jack will add some darkness, then more, right. more darkness sure. as we go. No question about it. Joker is much more of a sidekick villain than yes. this movie, which I was surprised to see, you know, in my rewatch, because I watched this as a kid, this movie, and I really enjoyed it throughout my childhood. The opening credits were like a wash of memories. Oh, I yeah. It. I must have watched it 20 times as a kid. Sure. The opening credits of this movie are great, I yeah. thought. I really enjoyed them. So, He's always joking, and he's always got these goofy little jokes and one-liners. My favorite one was when Penguin or Riddler, I forget who says it because Catwoman's with Batman, but they say, he swallowed the cat bait, and Joker immediately, of course, (laughs) has to retort, and now to make him bat bait. So the Joker is literally just a jokester in this one. He's he's really just a henchman. He's really just a side character to the Riddler and the Penguin's more gigantic plots. Yeah, maybe he's a first lieutenant, but yeah, he's a thug. Right. He's He's a glorified thug in this movie. So let's get into Secret Spice, what made it work, why Jack Nicholson would reference him so much here, Mike. The Secret Spice, or what made it work. So it definitely stayed true to the tone and the absurdity of the early comics and TV show. This was certainly the Joker made for kids. And we have that not only in the Joker's portrayal, but in some other things going on within the... I mean, Catwoman's radio is, Mm -hmm. is in the shape of a cat. You know, yeah. like that's necessary. Uh, part of the Joker's big plan, which we'll get to after this, is involving a jack-in-the-box like spring that's mm-hmm. going to propel Batman out of. The... So there's this giant <laughs> aloofness hanging over everything. So campy, mm. so over the top. I think that's kind of what made it work because you know it was the first portrayal of this character on screen, aside from the TV show where it was the same actor portraying him. So you had to tone it down a little bit because broadcast television back in those days was certainly not going to let you get away. Way with anything menacing or over the top gory. Yeah, not at all. And the, the comic relief in this movie and on the show, the little that I watched, uh, the YouTube clips from the show, I, I watched episodes of the show back in the day, couldn't find any for this. Anyway, the comic relief is very successful here. He's such an easy laugh, the Joker. Yeah. Like, he's laughing at actually funny things. Like, you'll have the Joker in future portrayals laugh at really horrible dark things, things, right? Horrible <laughs> things. Now he's actually laughing at funny things. Like, Catwoman says, they're sitting like fat birds in the tree for my picking or whatever. <laughs> and the Joker's the only one who laughs. And I laughed at the Joker laughing at that. So I love him for it. I really love the fact that all of these idiots are wearing masks as villains. Like, why are they wearing the Zorro mask anywhere? They're dressed up in full body costumes. <laughs> it's great. And they still, like, the Joker's wearing a pink Zorro mask. It's hilarious that they're doing that. It just kills me. Then to continue his supporting role, there's a literally a laugh contest between him and the Riddler at one point, where they both trade, like, each two apiece, two maniacal laughs. Just staring in each other's eyes deeply, too, <laughs> before they break off into a laugh. That was so good. The whole movie has to have that 
kind of tone for this performance to work, though, because otherwise it would feel so out of place. But mm -hmm. the whole movie is just ridiculous. Like, everybody is in the know at all times. The Riddler is leaving behind these horrible riddles that Robin figures out in immediate instance. Yeah, instead of launching, like, he launches a missile. They get a missile off. <laughs> you think this is the end of the world. They finally succeeded. Right. The missile, the, like, Batman and Robin fail. Yeah. That missile is gone. Yeah. There's nothing they could do about it. But this is the missile that is the prelude to the other missile because this missile goes into the air and just boom explodes right in the middle of the air and there's a riddle in the sky of course smoke. of course which by the way if you're doing this highly like illegal and sinister plot why are you leaving clues for the good guy <laughs> <laughs> so let's get back to the secret spice I think the physical presence really works. If you can't make Joker like a, a, an imposing intellectual presence, right. you make him an imposing physical presence. And I know the stuntmen are doing work here as well, but he is a handful in the fight. He's not that bad of a fighter. He's a dirty fighter. He's taking chairs. Okay. He's throwing haymakers. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Here's And this is going to preview as to where I think on a scale of one to Joker. Yeah. Joker is not being taken out in a fist fight by Robin. Which he was in this movie. He is not. Robin is not the guy taking down the Joker in a Robin, physical altercation. Robin is a is a wastebender, right? When he tries to bowl people <laughs> over, it is absurd. Like watch the fight montages on YouTube. He'll like do. They'll put their hands together like 1960s offensive linemen, right. their fists together, and they'll try to block you. And it's the most absurd thing. Like he's got the worst technique I've ever seen. He's just bending over at the waist with straight legs, straight little chicken legs, and running into people with his elbows out. Elbows first. It's the absolute opposite of what you teach the kids. And he's, it's the worst thing in the world. But you have this big Joker character taking these huge swings, and it actually looks halfway decent, I yeah, will say. I, I, Cesar Romero's uh, part of the fight doesn't look too bad. It looks kind of in tune with how over-the-top the rest of his physical attributes and physical actions have been throughout the movie. That he, is he the biggest Joker ever? I think he is. Unless you go to the Frank Miller uh, Jokers. It was supposedly this big muscle-bound mm -hmm. Joker next to Batman. Cesar Romero is bigger than Jack. Jack's my size. Mm -hmm. He's bigger than Heath. Heath is maybe a little taller than me. You know, Leto's a little taller. Joaquin Phoenix is not very big. This is the uh, the football track coach in you wanting a physical breakdown of this person's <laughs> combine stats. The tail of the tape. <laughs> I want the tail of the tape. He's the biggest Joker we've ever had. You could be right. That could be a good point. <laughs> but I agree with you about all the camp. I think the overall secret spice of the movie is that it's awesomely bad everything Thing. I really enjoyed this rewatch. I was surprised I would because I, I didn't... I, it started out so bad after the credits that I was like, oh no. I mean, there's some laugh out loud funny stuff at the awfulness. Oh my God, Mike. <laughs> some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. <laughs> they fl they fall into the foam rubber back up. They literally have deus ex machinas all over the oh, plot. Oh, everywhere. 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 And they make a joke out of it, I guess. They, they can't film it. I don't know if they have the budget. Mike, a fucking dolphin saves Batman the and Robin. The martyr dolphin is the most underrated you think. So, speaking of Batman and Robin having failed, yeah. there's one point where they are magnetized <laughs> in the middle of the ocean to this buoy because the penguin saw them coming and yeah. activated a magnet that was in the buoy that they knew they would be on because they're looking for fingerprints in the ocean. <laughs> 
And so they fire. The penguin has the Joker fire torpedoes yeah. at Batman and Robin, who cannot move. And the last torpedo, we don't see it. We hear it explode off screen. And then we're met with Batman and Robin driving down the road saying, oh, that, that dolphin gave his life so we can keep ours. That, por- that porpoise was a hero, Robin. It's so absurd. And it's right. I wanted like a 10-minute tribute to that porpoise. I will remember you. That's what the Joker and Penguin, that's where their laps was. They didn't account for heroic dolphins. Martyrdom dolphins. Save Cape Crusaders. So how evil was the deed? All right, start talking about the Talk plot. about what the deed was overall the Joker was involved with. How evil were my deeds? <laughs> Again, important to emphasize and highlight this was not the Joker's plot. He was just part of it. The Riddler actually lays out this extremely convoluted plan. (laughs) They'll have Catwoman pose as a Russian reporter to lure a random millionaire to their hideout, the hideout housing the four baddies involved in this, who are the only four super criminals not currently behind bars, we learn. And the chief of police, when asked about this, has to go to the videotape. Are you kidding me? You don't know that these four criminals are out there at large Mike, off the, the top of your head? The way in which <laughs> they find out that these four are working together is one of the funniest on-screen it's conversations. Hilarious. They find out Catwoman is involved because the movie starts with an attack on Batman at sea and the letter C starts the word Catwoman. So what? Catwoman must be involved. <laughs> They're working together. Yeah. <laughs> There's so many jumps to conclusions that keep everyone in the it's know. It's absurd. They're so, all on drugs. Yeah, of course. Basically what it so, is. This is what were the drugs back then? This is snuff boxes. No, if you go this by was, according to the movie, this was alcohol. Just alcohol. <laughs> you can't have alcohol. Alcohol was it, stronger. It distorts your vision. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we have this convoluted plan. Catwoman's going to pose as a Russian reporter. It's going to lure a random millionaire to their hideout where the four baddies, Penguin, Joker, Catwoman, and who am I missing? Riddler. Mm-hmm. Uh, presume Batman will show up and try and save said billionaire. And then they will project him, Batman, via the Joker's jack-in-the-box apparatus on the floor. It will propel Batman through a window right into the Penguin's exploding octopus's arms. So that's one of the first things I really love. You got all this goofy and deadly technology. You got exploding sharks and squids. (laughs) You got penguin gas. I mean, when that first shark bit Batman's leg, I am dying. I have almost tears in my (laughs) eyes. And then, of course, there is literally a shelf. There's only like two shelves on this helicopter. Yeah. One of those shelves, Mike, has manta ray repellent, <laughs> has shark repellent. And then Robin, with the copter in the air, he has to crawl down the bat ladder, which is labeled, of course, <laughs> and give Batman the spray. Now, this is an exploding shark. Uh-huh. And he's biting Batman's leg yeah. without breaking the skin. So Naturally. This shark well, he's not doing a great job. This phobe shark, which is just a stuffed animal that Batman has to move, right? Adam West has to Why move. Why they would ever him. go to a wide shot with that shark attached oh to Adam God. West's legs. It's, it's hilarious. I'm dying. And then, of course, Burt Ward has to hand the... Or the oh, he doesn't just hand. He does, like, a backflip yeah. on the ladder yeah. to get Batman. It's like a core workout. And the shot before the close-up... Yeah. He's too far away. Of course. And of course, he's like a wrong <laughs> He's right on top of him. There. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> really funny. Beautiful 60s stuff. So... With Batman out of the picture, the bad guys, the quadrilogy of bad guys figure, they will then be cleared to take over the United World Organization building, which just happens to have a meeting of the Security Council, which are the nine leaders of nine different countries, that they can then use Penguin's total dehydration machine on so they can start taking over the world 
of course, the random millionaire that Kitka slash Catwoman decides to lure, well, why not, at Riddler's suggestion, be Bruce Wayne? So talk about pseudoscience, Mike. <laughs> we have the five guinea pigs, which are Penguin's five assassins, right? The fucking shirts. <clears throat> One GP, two GP, three GP, because they're guinea pigs. <laughs> guinea pigs. They all stand totally still and watch the guy next to them turn into just like a handful With no reaction. of dust. D- no reaction. Turn into whatsoever. a literal pile of dust. And when that happens to the nine leaders of the world, they are too busy arguing at each other in different languages, in different languages. What a bunch of pompous windbags that it happens to one of them at a time. And they don't even notice that a giant evil clown, a giant penguin man, a giant cat woman, and a, and a man in a, in a, in a onesie. Matthew, a green onesie. Matthew Lesko, free money to pay your bills suit over there with his question marks everywhere. Totally oblivious. <laughs> so, however, when Wayne escapes the bad guy's clutches, they decide they'll infiltrate the Batcave with Penguin's dehydrated, rehydrated pirates, right. but that also goes awry immediately. So after <laughs> Batman and Robin survive an assassination attempt that the Riddler thinks is successful, Batman and Robin confront the baddies at the UWO building, but only after the council has been reduced to ash and taken by the baddies, and eventually they escape back to Penguin's submarine, leading ultimately to a huge fist fight atop Penguin's boat while at sea. So this is absurd. There's also a back and forth where they take, like you said, Penguin back to the Batcave, and of course everything's labeled, and he's got Penguin gas on the way back. He shoots them with the Penguin gas, but before that, you know, Adam West is just like to Robin, hey, take Take this pill. Which is not what a grown-ass man (laughs) should say to a young boy, and that boy should believe him. Robin, who just went on a crusade against alcohol. Right. So what what happens here, Mike? They get zonked by the penguin gas momentarily. We have this huge convoluted plan to kill Batman and Robin. Yeah. Penguin has these two idiots passed out (laughs) and does not kill them. No. He basically wants them to chase him exactly to give up the bad guy's hiding spot so that he can get into a submarine and kill them in a more elaborate way yeah the big plan at the end of the day is we'll kill batman (laughs) that's the bad guy's big plan like nobody ever explains how capturing these nine world leaders and having them hostage is going to get them any power they talk about getting money at one point right but it they, Batman assumes, well, if these four are working together, it could only mean one thing. They want to take over the world. Take but over that's the world. never explained. Never explained how they're going to do that. And they, they, they do. They could. Yes. They have the nine leaders of the world as little dust piles. All they have to do is just throw those dust piles somewhere else and then take a charge. I mean, it's ridiculous. My favorite line of this whole sequence, though, the whole last half of the movie is, the water dispenser is clearly marked. <laughs> Yes, of course it was. Everything is clear. Penguin breaks into the... I know we're not supposed to be breaking down the movie like this, but you have to highlight it. Penguin breaks into the Batcave under the guise of being like Schmidlab, but he's found out immediately. Schmidlab's this hostage that Batman knows they have. Whatever. So Penguin breaks into the Batcave under, he's actually guided there by Batman. Right. And he's got this entire apparatus. He asks Batman to get a drink of water. Batman says, go ahead, because hydration, dehydration will be the least of your problems when we're done with you. <laughs> and getting a drink of water, Penguin opens up his coat and just has this, like, apparatus of just fucking tubes and, and like, <laughs> wires and shit to get all his dust pirates rehydrated. If they were not criminally insane, 
Mike, these people should be running the world. Look at all this technology. Look at all this innovation. This is Steve Jobs. They have they have basically rockets that fly. They're broomsticks. Mm -hmm. They have broomsticks in the sky, all with That's, their little cute that masks. That was beautiful. It's hilarious and it's beautiful and it's awesome. Uh, you got all the technology with Catwoman, with the cat bait trap, like you said, and then of course they can literally turn you to dust and and. They should use the dehydrator on Batman and Robin at one point. Maybe that would be <laughs> a good idea. Dead to rights <laughs> so many times, but they don't use that either. They're a bunch of bumbling idiots, criminally insane, but it is a lot of fun. As far as Joker plots go, what do you think? Was this evil enough? He has no agency. He is relegated <laughs> to a gunman and a servant, yeah, essentially. It's sad. Comic relief. He delivers the tea, the poison. He's got the short laugh contest. He's firing torpedoes. He's like the first lieutenant that fires right. the torpedoes. At, but only when the penguin gives the directive. Yeah, only anybody could do that. Right. I mean, it's fun to watch the Joker, aye, aye, ho, ho, right. blah, blah, whatever he's saying. <laughs> and then he's like, he's manning the control, surface, surface, he's freaked out. <laughs> I love when he holds his hair down on the top of his head. That was a fun <laughs> yep. move. You know, it's big hair, so when he smushes it down, he looks absurd. Gotta get his arms way up there. <laughs> so this is really fun. What's dumb about this movie, Mike, what's really dumb about this movie, is that they, the ending does not have supervillains. Like, the ending should have the final battle between the supervillains. No. The final double cross. Yeah, Instead, the ending has, science experiment. Has Schmidt Lab accidentally knocking over the test tubes, holding all the foreign leaders' dusts, because they have not yet been rehydrated from these piles of ash they have been turned into by the penguin. Yeah. And so Batman, thank God he has his trusty bat particle separator in his bat cave, has to separate all these world leaders back into their individual piles of dust and rehydrate right. them, which he does, but oops, I've accidentally switched everyone's yeah. language. Which is... Uh, whoopsie daisy <laughs> you ruined the world but nobody cares uh, uh you know lyndon johnson in his ch chair the back yeah. of his chair saying good job or whatever mike how is that a better finale than the final fight we got on top of the it's submarine? not not at all and the best i mean the best part of all of that yeah. is that batman and robin fail spectacularly they, really they, they screwed up they've changed all the world leaders voices nobody speaks their native language nobody cares and batman basically turns to robin and says let's just let's leave out this window and go let's home leave conspicuously. <laughs> let's let Everybody else handle this. Another day done. We'll use our bat ropes. Our job is finished. It's absurd. But so you should have ended with the sploosh. Yes, without the question. Thwack, the irk, yeah. curse sploosh. Bon voyage, pussy. Kerplop, <laughs> blurp. All that stuff was better. I agree. I agree. Nonsense. And I, I also say, as far as Joker plots, this one isn't evil enough. I need more no. than just, hey, kill Batman. I, I know you want to kill Batman. You're the Joker. <laughs> he had to have had better plots in the TV show. I don't remember many of them. I, I don't know any of them. I yeah. did watch, you know, when he escaped from jail, basically, he was just on, like, a giant, like, uh, lever that threw him <laughs> into, like, a catapult. He's a big fan of projectiles. Over the walls. Big fan of projectiles. Yeah, he would die immediately, I guess. I mean, it's ridiculous, <laughs> unless he had superior technology there. And finally, on a scale of one to Joker, how Joker was he? All right, so on a scale of one to Joker, how Joker was he? Not very Joker for me. <laughs> I mean, hashtag not my Joker. The, my Joker does not get bested in a physical confrontation with Robin. My <laughs> Joker is not just a side henchman willing to do other bad guys' doing deeds and misgivings. My Joker is a leader. My Joker is the one, is the clown prince of crime. He handles yeah. henchmen. Yeah, he I, is not a henchman himself. We can't help ourselves here because we are jaded by the fact that Heath Ledger will be, exactly. a, be an agent of chaos. Exactly. And we get all the dark 
darkness later on. So I do think you're getting some Joker here. You're getting the trickster, the prankster. You the get the blueprint. You get some blueprint, yeah. which is I like that. And Nicholson will pay homage to this performance in very many mm-hmm. ways. I, I love that Romero was such a wonderful guy to study. That he's so gracious. So. I'm going to say a six. A six? I'm going to say a six because I really enjoyed... You think this is more than half Joker? I think it's a little more than half Joker because you got the entertainment value. Oh, that is a generous grade for you. I I think if he was the main villain, you'd get a better plan. I think in the TV series, when he's the main villain, he has good plans. And we're judging Cesar Romero's performance, which is a a template. I think you're you're getting... Like, Jack Nicholson is at least using six-tenths of what Romero gave. Wow. Historical significance is the main reason I will grade this at all. Right. But he's funny, too. So if you're funny, that's points for Yeah, but he's not... I mean, Heath Ledger (laughs) sees this guy and doesn't even bother killing him. (laughs) (laughs) All right? Like... This is this is like a three on a Joker all scale right, for me. Right. I'm trying to give the old guys. Some now you are. You're doing the right I, thing. I'm just I tearing do. his work down. We got a three point curve still. Yeah. With everything Even we do. In the Joker. Sense. But there's p- potential for more dimensions to the characters. There's potential certainly um, for the evil when you push that in later renditions. So I'm excited to keep going with this. I've already rewatched the 1989 Batman, and that is a blast. As well. I can't wait. I really can't. I, I haven't seen that one in a couple years, but I know Jack really jumps off the screen, and you're absolutely right as far as this was an important one to do Cesar Romero because this is kind of not obviously the kicking off point the first time he's shown in the visual medium but Mm -hmm. also there are a lot of antics and and animations that he puts forward that are borrowed and certainly given homage to Mm -hmm. in future versions of the Joker we're going to get to all of that this was episode one or at least, I guess, two, maybe? So two, yeah. yeah well, <laughs> well, the first single one. The first single. Of the Joker character study series covering Cesar Romero. Next up, like Mike said, will be Jack, big old Jack Nicholson, in his 1989 movie from Tim Burton, Batman. Yeah, we think nuts? next week. We think next week. Let's get nuts. <laughs> Guys, we want to know your comments, questions, concerns, all that about this and anything else we cover in the MMO Empire. You could reach out to us, Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook. Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Instagram. MM and Oscar on the Twitter machine. Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com and on Reddit. We are available everywhere. You hear podcasts, including Apple Podcasts. If you take three seconds out of your day, go to your podcast app on your iPhone. If you can type in Mike, Mike, and Oscar, click on our logo in the search box and scroll down a couple times after tapping on our logo, mm-hmm. you'll be able to give us a five star review. Thank we would you. really appreciate that. If you can be bothered to do it for two seconds out of your day. <laughs> That's a little mean way to end I'm it. getting a little angry about asking. Mike, what's coming next from MMO and some words of wisdom? I'm really proud of our two news and variety shows yeah. right now. For like the first time in a long time, I feel like we are up to date with the news while we're recording this episode. So if you listen to our last two episodes, I'm sure you know a million things will have come out since right. then. But Oscar Race Checkpoint brings you up to date with all your award season news, trailer reviews, film festival stuff we're going to debut a few new segments on next week's episode we also have uh, our mmo weekly which is our news and variety show for the rest of hollywood which was a lot of fun as well we review a lot of tv we branch out in fact we discussed whether or not aliens exist we tell you spent a lot of time on that yeah, yeah. we did that was a lot of fun after the bob lazar documentary on netflix there which was uh, crazy and <laughs> and fun to watch so we do all that kind of stuff we're reviewing new movies like ready or not we got some more oscar 
Oscar movies coming out on the schedule. We'll let you know which movies we're going to review. A bunch of Oscar sprint profiles. But for now, we're we're, we're loving this Joker rewatch series. We're going to do something special for It Chapter 2. Yeah. With the Joker versus Pennywise yeah. bo- bonus episode as clown, well. Clown on clown crime. Yeah. yeah. That's going to be fun. Uh, words of, were those your words of wisdom as well? No, my words of wisdom, Mike, thank you yeah. for setting me up. I don't want to forget this. Because to all you writers out there, remember alliteration it works (laughs) it sells it works it sells it's good there's a place for it it's really funny uh i really enjoyed this movie because of that yeah this was awesomely bad definitely go seek it out if you want a good laugh Uh, guys when reality sucks you can come watch the clown prince of crime with us in all his iterations we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness and with a smile on that pretty little face we'll check you out soon see ya Ah, 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 ah.